Thank you, Kent and Barbara, for our music tonight. As you join us for our evening service, we're uh, going to have three messages uh, from Genesis. And so uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Let me explain a little bit what I'm doing. We are, uh, for the summer, going to go to the book of Titus on our Sunday night messages. But uh, due to uh, kind of off and on Sunday nights here over the next few weeks and holiday weekend and so forth, I want to do kind of a mini-series, I'm calling it, on people, marriage, and family. And uh, those will be the three messages. People, who we are as God has made us. Marriage, why that's important. And then family. So I'll do those three messages, and then we'll go back to Titus. So I hope that you can uh, be with us and, uh, uh, during these three uh, messages. Next week, uh, we have the Lord's Supper. The week after that, we don't have an evening service because of Memorial Day. But we'll do these three messages uh, coming up. You know, there are advantages and disadvantages to, to being older. Uh, I'm not real old, just, uh, just look at it. I was bald when I was 20, and I always looked old. Uh, but uh, one of the advantages is you get asked to do things that you're supposed to know, whether you really know them or not, you know? You know that feeling as uh, parents and grandparents? So uh, I work with a group of men uh, that uh, we do a camp up in Ontario every summer, and, and then we do some other things together. And uh, on the subject of discipleship, they said, we know what you, we want you to do. We want you to speak on the discipleship of grandchildren. I thought, okay, uh, I'll do it. You know, I thought it sounded like fun to me. And so we did a, a conference in uh, Alaska. We'll do one in Ontario this summer and one in Iowa this fall. And then in the middle of that, I'm going to do a family camp, as if I'm supposed to know, you know, things about family. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Ann and I will get to go to that one and up in Minnesota and do a family camp. Then on top of that, uh, my friend who, who has a Bible institute up in uh, northern Minnesota asked me to teach one of his classes for him on ethics for today on 18 different subjects to cover in three uh, days on everything from abortion to transgenderism to homosexuality, same-sex attraction, things like that, which kind of weigh you down to study, to tell you the truth. But it is where our generation is today and what, and, and, uh, what they need to know. So whether I know these things or not, you know, and you get to a place where you as a parent, you as a grandparent, uh, you're the advisor to your kids, to your grandkids, to younger people. And uh, we look at these kind of issues and we think, how can I answer from the Word of God? Just this week, folks, as, a, as way of illustration, you know, everything gets sent your way on your phone nowadays, right? You can't get away from the news. You can't get away from the headlines. You can't get away from all of that. It just follows you everywhere you go. Three headlines this week, just this week. The University of North Texas Student Council wants conservative students to be suspended for being transphobic. You know what that is. If you're homophobic, you know what that means. Well, if, you're, if you disagree with transgenderism, you're transphobic. They, wa they want everyone to be suspended uh, in the university that is not, uh, doesn't agree with them. John Hopkins uh, University has a center against child sexual abuse. Good, they should have. A center against child sexual abuse. So they just hired a new professor 
who wants to protect pedophiles by calling them minor attracted persons instead of pedophiles, M-A-P. They hired them in their, <laughs> in their uh, study. Target stores are collaborating with queer-owned brands to assist in normalizing transgender ideology. This is just this week. I mean, this stuff just is bombarded and comes at us constantly, doesn't it? And our kids, our grandkids, the young people, uh, and you know they're teaching these things in the lowest grades in school. It's just amazing. And so there just comes a time when we need to kind of refresh ourselves and what the Bible says about uh, certain issues. Good news this week. You want some good news? One name, Samuel Alito, uh, our Supreme Court uh, justice who, who writes the opinion, and our Supreme Court looks like they're voting to revoke Roe versus Wade and Pennsylvania versus Casey and send all of that back to the states for decision. Praise God for that, and I hope that it goes through. And yet, the bad news with it, the world goes crazy as if, you know, they've taken away the right to live or something, and actually they have for, for some people. And, uh, and so our Congress gets together and tries to codify, that is, make a law that uh, you can abort a child right up to the time that child is born and probably right afterwards and make it a law. You can do that at any time. Luckily, that did not pass in the Senate this week, but uh, maybe that's, that's the good news. So I just thought... we. <laughs> You know, it's time to go back to Genesis for a little bit and uh, review a little bit about what God says back there. So I want you, if you have your Bible open, to read with me from verse 26 in chapter 1 to the end of the chapter as our text for tonight. God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion again over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, so that uh, so uh, you, it shall be food for you. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then notice verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let me make just a few preliminary comments about creation as we see it in Genesis 1. Number one, this is recent. That is, it's not billions of years ago uh, or even millions years ago. 
it was an early earth, as we call it, from six to perhaps 10,000 years ago, but certainly not millions and billions of years ago. Secondly, it was instantaneous. When God said, let there be light, there was light. Uh, we said, let there be land, there was land. Uh, what God said, he did in six literal days. That's why you get to the end of our passage here. This is simply the sixth 24-hour day, and all of this is done. And so it's instantaneous in the way that it was done. And then two thoughts that go together. Number one, it was out of nothing. You know that word bara, that Hebrew word, which you have back in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Bara, which means he created out of nothing. Well, of course he did because nothing existed physically at the time. And so out of nothing, he creates. And you have that word in verse 21. You have it in verse 27 here. He, so God created man in his own image. So in some things, and in some sense, God created things out of nothing. But in another sense, God made things or formed things out of something. So there's a word, yatsar, for example, that is in chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So he took the substance that was there, the dust of the ground, and he made a man out of that dust. We'll come back to that thought uh, in a few minutes. Chapter 3 and verse 19, from dust you are, to dust you shall return. So <laughs> we came out of the dust, we'll go back to the dust uh, when we die and we're buried. Not only that, <clears throat> there is the breath of life in chapter 2, verse 7. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. By the way, if he formed a man out of the dust of the ground and he doesn't have life yet, why does he have nostrils? You know, he didn't, he didn't evolve. He formed him this way uh, with a face and with nostrils. Then he puts life into that lifeless body and immediately uh, he becomes alive. He wasn't alive before then, never was, and now he's alive forevermore. That is the principle, the soul, the breath of God that is in a person, or if you will, the image of God. Job said it, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. And this life, then, we will see in a few minutes, is mediated by human beings. We carry on this life by marriage, by a male and a female having children, and that life is given to them, and it has come from Adam and Eve all the way down to you and me and it will go on as long as the earth exists. So uh, we know what creation is. Those are just the parameters, the general things about it. If you will, look at three things that I have on your notes there. You don't have too many details, and I'm going to give you some details, but uh, uh, I, I think you can follow this either way. Three facts, if you will, about people. First of all, we are made in the image of God. Didn't we read that in verse 27? So, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And not only that, male and female. And so both genders, only two genders, and both are made in God's image. It's always interesting to note that God says, let us make man, verse 26, in our own image, in the plural and evidently, that speaks to the Trinity of God. At least God has a complementarity to him also. He presents himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's one God. 
and uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have their position, all have their job to do, and so they complement one another just as the man and the woman are going to complement one another, copying even uh, the very uh, God himself. We are made in his image partly in this way. So two, two thoughts under this, and let me explain. The first is humanity is like man. <laughs> humanity is like man. And secondly, I'll say in a minute, humanity is like God. But first of all, humanity is like man. In Verse 26, God said, let us make Adam in our image. Now, I said Adam. It's not in your English translation, but the Hebrew word is Adama. Adama, we get the name Adam, but it means man. But it means man in uh, male and female. That is why we say mankind. That is why the Bible can refer to all human beings as man, you know, uh, by, uh, that man has sinned, meaning all of us, male and female. So we find that there. We find it uh, in verse 27, again, created man. We find it all the way over to chapter 5 and verse 1. He created man. He made him in the likeness of God. So as someone said, we have singularity and we have plurality. Adam had that. And what that means is, if you notice again in verse 27, he made him in the image of God. He created him. There's the singularity. Adam is part of humanity. Male and female, he created. Now he, he refers to Adam as them. And so mankind, the human race, is male and female. And both parts of the human race are made in God's image. We have that word Adam then throughout chapter 1, throughout chapter 2 also. Now, you, you are part of humanity. You are part of Adam. As a matter of fact, uh, you sinned in Adam, and you received your, your sin from Adam, but you received your humanity from Adam. Now, we're like animals, but we're unlike animals. We're like angels, but unlike angels. We're like animals because... They were made from the ground, too. When you look at verse 24 uh, of this chapter uh, and verse, uh, uh, these uh, verses, they, they show man being made for, or, or animals. I'm sorry, verse 20, 22. They're living creatures. They come from the earth. They were made from the earth. We are made from the earth. Animals have souls, believe it or not, but not eternal souls. Nefesh means soul or means life. So God gave animals life. They, they have life. They live. They do things. But when they die, they die. And why is that? Because they're not in the image of God. They're not a, an eternal being. Now, angels are eternal. They'll live forever. Uh, but they don't have souls like that. And so uh, neither the animals nor the angels are like us. We're like human beings. We're not animals. And we're not angels. We're, we're creatures made from the earth and made from Adam, male and female, to live forever. We're different physically from the animals. They crawl, they squirm around, they're on four legs, they can't stand up straight, and we can. Morally, they have no morality, uh, but we do. I always, uh, you know, we used to have cats until we became older and wiser, but we had cats 
and uh, when the kids were in the house, and I always remember sitting in the front room, and we had one of these lower windowsills, and the cats used to love to get up there and look out the front window, probably looking at the birds or whatever. And I, I remember sitting there one day, and here's a cat right here, and uh, she was looking out the window, and the other cat comes over and just pushes her off the side, and he's looking out the window. And she doesn't complain, no crying. She doesn't come to me and say, hey, why did he do that to me? She just comes back in a few minutes and pushes him over. And then she's looking out the window. And I'm watching this go on, you know, for a while on the front windowsill. And I'm thinking, you know why? Because they, they don't have morals. They don't think right and wrong. They may think survival, but they don't think right and wrong. We're different from the animals that way. And not only that, folks, you may think you want to see your dog in heaven or your cat, but you're not going to. Uh, whatever creatures are in heaven didn't come from the earth. When they die, they die because they're not eternal beings. They, they are not made in the image of God. And think of communication. Think of how differently we are from the animals in that we communicate with one another. We have language. I know that there are certain communications between animals, but it's not at all, of course, like uh, we communicate. Adam was made to talk with God in the garden and walk with him in the evening. God didn't do that with any of the creatures, and none of the creatures could. Now, uh, Satan comes into a serpent and makes him talk, but, of course, that's a, a different kind of thing. We have faces that have expression. Uh, animals very seldom have ex expression other than, you know, growling, you know, and that kind of thing in their face. But you and I read one another's face. Uh, we're made to, when we preach, we preach face to face. When we talk, we talk face to face. All of those kinds of things are important. And we have emotion that animals don't have. Why? What's the biggest difference? We're made in the imago Dei. We're made with the image of God. And angels are not, and animals are not. And that's why what happens to human beings, to you and me, is so very important to God. Now, humanity is like man, but humanity is also like God, uh, as I've just said. In, in two ways, perhaps, this image of God uh, is seen in us. One is constitutionally, the other is morally. By constitution, I mean... We have a body and a mind that can communicate with God. We can do things. We can put our hands to things. What have animals built in this world? Well, they, they make their webs. They make their nests. They, they do pretty amazing things. But can they go to the moon? Can they invent an airplane? Uh, can they invent an automobile? No. But human beings, of course we can. Constitutionally, we are made after God. We are made like God. And then secondly, of course, morally. We know right from wrong. And it's to Adam that God said, this is the tree you can eat of. This is the tree you cannot eat of. And if you do, you will be punished for that. They made a choice. God followed through. And so that is the way we are, as theologians say, we are in the likeness of God. Let me add a few thoughts to that. Again, we communicate with God. It's in chapter 5 that Enoch walked with God. In the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam walked in the cool of the garden with God. And, and Noah is the third person in all of this that says that he walked with God. And that's why God used him. So we can communicate with God. We can call upon God. Here's an interesting verse in chapter 4 at the very end of that chapter where Seth, 
is born after Cain and Abel. Seth is born. It says, as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Notice this. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So the righteous line that comes from Adam and Eve all the way down to Noah comes through the third son, Seth, and then his children and so forth, not through Cain's line and, of course, not through Abel's line. So uh, we can call on the Lord as human beings. That's a gift that we have. Not only that, we can have respect for life because up in chapter 9 and verse 6 is that verse after the flood that says uh, you don't kill another person, and if you do, your life can be taken. Whoso sheds man's blood, chapter 9, verse 6, by man his blood shall be shed, capital punishment. Why? For in the image of God he made man. Now what that means is we don't take another life of a human being because of the image of God. My little grandson, I got a picture of him yesterday, he's holding up a fish. And, uh, you know, he's just five years old, but he puts his own worms on there, and he kills that worm and puts it on his hook. He catches that little bitty fish, and he'll take uh, whatever, and he'll cut that little fish up. And should he be arrested because he killed a fish? No. You know, we don't do that for animals. But if you take the life of a human being, it's a crime. By the way, that is why we believe if there is life in the womb, then that becomes a murder to take that life uh, once it has been conceived. But not of a, an animal, but yes, of human beings. And another addition to that thought is, again, we live forever. Every human being that's ever been alive is alive somewhere right now, in heaven or in hell or on this earth. There are only three places where eternal souls are existing right now. Uh, heaven, hell, or on this earth. And every soul of human beings will live somewhere forever. And one more thought that I think is interesting, and that is that God made man the way he did in his image with the constitution and morality that he had for one huge reason— and that is God himself would become a man someday. He would not become an angel. He would not become an animal. He would become a man. And so you have an extended passage, for example, uh, in 1 Corinthians but 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was of the earth earthy and made from the dust, but the second man was the Lord from heaven. And so one reason God made man the way he made him is so that he could become a man and morally and constitutionally live a sinless life, die for our sins as our substitute, ascend back to heaven, and keep that humanity forever as our Savior. So that's a wonderful thought when you think about it, that God made man the way he did. Someone said, at the fall, everything was reversed. And I'll say that again in a minute. That's a shame because Adam and Eve failed in their moral uh, choice and God punished them for it. And you and I are still living with that choice That's uh, uh, and that punishment. That's why you and I will die. Uh, but as someone said, the image of God was defaced but not erased. 
And so even though you see in human beings some of the worst uh, actions and some of the worst humanity, they still are made in God's image and will live forever because of it. It is defaced in that we certainly are not sinless like Adam once was before the fall, uh, but it is there. It's not erased in us. So we're made in the image of God. That's a real high over, <laughs> over uh, flight of that. Secondly, we are made male and female. So again, in our verse 27, very specifically, he created him male and female. He created them. As I've often quoted Jesus in Matthew 19, when he was asked about marriage, he said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? There are only two genders, folks, and everybody with eyes knows that. Uh, everyone who's ever seen a baby born knows that. Uh, there are male and female, and that's what the Bible says here. Now, two or three thoughts I have here. Number one, humanity is bisexual then. Humanity is bisexual. And that is, it takes two people to make another human being. It takes two people to make a baby. And it always will. Even if you manipulate the egg and the sperm and, and do surgeries and that kind of thing, you still got to have male and female to make another person. An interesting word is in chapter 2 and verse 23. And, and we're going to go to these verses in our next message. But in verse 23... When, when God made Eve out of his rib and brought her to him, Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of the Ish. Now here, though we have the English word man, it's not Adama any longer. It's the word Ish and Isha, which means... Uh, out of a man and man. The woman is taken out of the man. The reason why she's going to fit him and the animals are not is because she's taken out of him. So she contains the image of God. She contains the constitutionality and all the morality that human beings have. And because she's made out of him, though he's made out of the dust, she's not, then she, they complement one another, which I'm going to talk about in the next message also. One of the ways they complement is simply that they are made male and female. One is taken from the ground, the other is taken out of that person. Someone has said, well, you know, uh, I would say, let me say first, animals are bisexual, right? Who was Noah, what was Noah supposed to take on the ark? How did he know which two to take? Because animals are bisexual too. Animals are male and female. And here in this chapter, in our chapter 1, we have uh, verse 20 through 24 and so forth. You have these animals that reproduced, and they're reproducing after their kind, of course, male and female. Now, uh, I was watching a, a video this week put out by uh, Answers in Genesis by a, a, a woman uh, scientist, a very good presentation on, on uh, gender, and uh, she pointed out that, that you know, the, the pro-transgender people like to find some animal that is neither male nor female and point to that and say, see, some animals aren't just male and female. They have some other gender, and therefore we should too. That's kind of the way she should. And she was showing how that the, 
the chances of that happening, even in the animal world, are somewhere between 0.100 and 0.001. I mean, that, that's the chances of it happening. And why does it happen? Because we live in a fallen world. Why are why are children of human beings born with deformities and the rest? We live in a fallen world. It's not a perfect world. She also pointed out that you know where they find those species? In those large animals like worms and snails <laughs> and things like that are the most common uh, you know, abnormalities in the animals. So the fact is that God made animals uh, bisexual uh, and male and female as well. So that's number one. Number two... Humanity must multiply. Humanity has to multiply or we're done. Adam and Eve are supposed to multiply and fill. What does verse 20 say? God said to them, that is the male and the female, God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and then the dominion words, subdue it and have dominion. So we're supposed to multiply. We're supposed to have children. Uh, that is why we have male and female. The reason that they're complement is because they actually can do that physically. And that's the way God made human beings to do. So when a male and a female have a child, there's some interesting things that happen at that moment. At that very moment, there's the transmission of the body now to that third person. Now, Adam was made from dust and she was made from a rib. But from now on, every time that that sexual union happens, then there is a body at the moment of conception. As I have said before, the DNA is there. Uh, the chromosomes are there. Everything is there so that you know it's male or female, and that is a human being with a body. Not only the, And by the way, chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. What does that word know or knew then mean throughout the Bible? It means that sexual relationship between male and female. And that's why two males or two females trying to do the same thing is an abomination. Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, abomination before God because God says, I did not make you that way or for that purpose. So, uh, the transmission of the body. Do you realize also that when that new human being is formed is the transmission of the soul also? That human being at that moment becomes a living soul. Now that, that view of where the soul come from, comes from is generally taken by evangelicals and many others to mean that we get our very soul from our parents. God doesn't create a soul out of somewhere else at that moment, or God hasn't created all the souls and put them in a closet somewhere, and he's waiting for you to have a, a baby so that he can put a soul in it. The soul is passed on also. There's an interesting verse in Hebrews 7.10. You've heard this before where uh, uh, in, uh, uh, well, I'll read it to you. Hebrews 7.9, Levi, who was later to be a priest, received tithes, pay, and he paid tithes in Abraham. Now, that's a few hundred years after Abraham. Here's Abraham. A few hundred years later, Levi is born. And the writer of Hebrews is saying Levi was paying tithes inside Abraham when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Really? 
And then it says, he paid tithes in Abraham for he was, listen, yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. The fact is, folks, you and I were in Adam. We were in the loins of Adam. And from the loins of Adam and Eve come the bodies and the souls of all human beings. Why is it the Bible can say that we sinned in Adam because we actually were there? inside Adam. And so my third point there is not only the transmission of the body, transmission of the soul, there is the transmission of the sin. And so we have that, that, that well-known verse in Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Why? Because all sinned. And when did we sin? When Adam sinned. And when the whole human race became sinners at that point. That's an amazing thing, isn't it, when you think about it, that, that all of that is passed on to every human being. And if that process is started by a male and a female, then it is the male and the female gender that is passed on to every human being, as well as the soul. Generally, we have believed, especially Protestants have believed, that Preventing conception, whether you don't get married or you don't uh, have sexual intercourse and so you don't have children, that's okay. But once that conception does take place, from that moment on, you have that human life. And to take that human life then is murder, is to take a life. Uh, we don't think, as the Roman church does, that it's a sin then not to have children uh, you must have, and you must have as many as you can, or something like that. Rather, uh, not to have them is okay, but once you have, that conception has taken place, that is a human life passed on from Adam and Eve. This eternal soul that has to live somewhere, and that soul is living somewhere, whether you've killed it or not. And then a third thing under the male and female is that humani humanity is complementary. And I'm going to use that word a lot in the next message and the third message. Uh, that is that we complement one another. Now look at chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord, uh, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now that's true. Uh, our socks would never get washed, our clothes would never get hung up, and we would eat pizza all of our life. Not good for man to be alone. I will make him a, notice in the New King James I have, helper comparable to him. Help meet in the old version. Other versions have different ways of translating that. But I like helper comparable to him. And that is only the woman taken out of his side and making, made it as a compliment to the man. Uh, only that is a helper to him. God showed him all the animals we, we see here in a little bit. And he looked at all the animals and said, none of them are made a compliment to me, only that. And so he makes this woman from his side a helper comparable to him so that he won't be alone. When we say complementary, we, we spell that with an E, not an I. If we complement one another, we spell it with an I. It's a compliment. But to, to help one another is to complement. Uh, we, we fit together. We spell that with an E. And so complementarianism today is a big subject, which means 
the man is the head of the woman, and the woman is a compliment to the man, and in that way, the man is a compliment to the woman. But just as the Godhead has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the human family has father and mother, husband and wife, and they complement each other with their roles. The opposite way, the more feminist way of looking at that is egalitarianism, which means we're equal in every way. I can be the head or you can be the head. I can be the preacher or you can be the preacher. I can, I can, you know, I'm the head of you, you're the head of me. Egalitarianism is opposite, and that's what, of course, is being pushed by so much today. Let me say four words under this point C that we are complementary. Number one, it's for propagation, of course. Male and female, uh, this is so that there will be children born, and God made us this way so there will be children. Look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind, Adam. And in the day that they were created, Adam lived 130 years and begat a son, notice, in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. When he had a child, the image of God is passed on to that child, the same image and likeness of God that Adam had. And that's why you are made in the image and likeness of God, because that has been passed on all the way through. So for propagation is one reason why we needed a compliment. We needed someone with us. Number two, companionship, because our, our verse in chapter 2, verse 18 said, God said, it's not good that we should be alone. And, and so... Uh, marriage is for companionship as well. It's for responsibility. And so he says to them, you be fruitful, multiply. You have dominion over the earth. You too, the man and the woman, responsibility. Fourthly, by the way, is evangelism. And especially after the fall, we have children so that we can populate heaven. Now, if our children don't receive Christ as Savior, they won't populate heaven. But I think I said not too long ago, the number one evangelistic thrust in this world are families. Moms and dads leading their children to Christ. That is the most effective and, and the best way for children to become believers and live forever. These souls to live forever in heaven, not in hell. And that is through a mother and a father. And so evangelism uh, is correct. Now, we are equal as persons. You remember Peter said that we are heirs together of the grace of life, the husband and the wife. Heirs together of the grace of life. Mrs., you are a child of God as much as Mr. Mr., you're a child of God as much as Mrs. Uh, we have souls, and those souls need to live forever. And those souls are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ or they're not. And so we're equal as person, but we're distinct in roles. 1 Corinthians 11:3. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. So just as there, is, there are complementary levels in the Godhead, there are complementary levels at home. No problem there. God made us both to fulfill our role and be happy in that role. That's not only true in the family, it's also true in the church, uh, as we know. Let me go to the third point for time. I know I'm going quickly, but uh, a few thoughts 
about the fact that we have dominion. Two thoughts underneath this. Number one, humans are God's representatives. We're made to have dominion. We're God's representatives. And secondly, we're God's caretakers. The first thought I have is we're God's representatives on this earth. We're made in his image. So among the animal kingdoms, even among the angelic realms, we are God's representatives here. Someone I read likened it to planting a flag. You know what it is when, when uh, uh, an army goes into a territory and they plant a flag, and, and what does that mean when you plant the flag? It means this is our territory. You know, we got here that beautiful picture of Iwo Jima, you know, and the Marines planting that flag. It means we conquered it. We're here. And it's as if God put human beings on this earth to say, this is my earth. This is my territory. And you are my representative. Adam can be rightfully called the king of the earth. And Eve along with him. They were rulers here. They had dominion here. They took care of everything here. And even after the fall, they're still supposed to do that. So God blessed them, this passage says. God said to them, be multiply, uh, multiply and have dominion on the earth. You remember Psalm 8 that begins this way, when I consider your heavens, Psalm 8, verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of them, of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Because the son of man, that is Jesus Christ, will become a man on this earth too. You have made him a little lower than the angels. I mean, we're not as powerful as they are. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. And so uh, that psalmist points out that uh, we are God's representatives on this earth. And not only that, but even over the animals too. You remember when Noah came off the ark, uh, Genesis 9-2 says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. And I'm glad about that because I've met some beasts that I'm kind of afraid of them, to tell you the truth. But for some reason... Animals are afraid of us. And why is that? Because God made us his representatives, and we're kings of this earth in that sense. Number two, humans are God's caretakers. Uh, first of all, again, as I've said, we are to multiply, and that's why God made us the way he did. We're to subdue the earth. I'm looking uh, at verse 28 now. Bless, he blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over this and over that and over this and over that. They are to subdue it like they did the garden. Here's the garden, and as I understand, that garden was huge. It wasn't like your backyard garden. Uh, this thing may have gone from Mesopotamia all the way down to Egypt. This was a garden that they could take care of with no problem. They, they hadn't been sinners at this time. Subdue it. Make it look pretty. Dress it up. Keep this garden. And even afterwards, they're supposed to do the same thing. And have dominion. Joint rule. You and the woman have joint rule over this earth. Someone put it this way, and it, it's true. Man tills and the woman fills. Meaning... Man's primary responsibility is a tiller of the ground. The man is usually the one who puts his hands to things and makes things and lifts things and, and uh, breaks things and all of those kinds of things. The woman, though she does many things, 
Her primary responsibility is the bearing of the children. They have to come through her. They can't come through him. And so she fills the earth. Now, that doesn't mean it's her only responsibility or Adam's uh, only is to till. It just means that that's what God said to them at the beginning. And that's how they can fill it and how they can subdue it and have dominion over this then. Even after creation, in verse 28 he says it, before sin comes along, after the fall in chapter 3 when God is, uh, has placed his curses upon the, the serpent and upon the man and upon the woman, all he's saying is you still have dominion over this earth, but boy, it's going to bring sweat to your brow. And that land that you're going to plant is going to bring forth a lot of thistles as well as, as good things. And it's going to be harder, in other words, but you're supposed to still do it. And even in chapter 9 after the flood, as God changes everything after the flood, you still find in the first three verses of chapter 9, now get out of this ark and go into this world, fill it again, and have dominion over it again. And so that dominion mandate comes down to us. Now, the sin reversed the order, and that's too bad. It reversed the order in that we as sinners don't always like that. So, for example, uh, the first thing that he said to Eve is, your problem's going to be that you want to rule over the man and you're not supposed to. And it's going to frustrate you the rest of your life. That's, that's backwards from the dominion uh, mandate. Not only that, but here's a verse in Romans 1.25 their their immorality before God, he says of them, who changed the truth of God into a lie. So the reversal of the spiritual outlook on things. I, God, I don't like the way you made it, and I don't even know if you did make it. I think we evolve. That's to change the truth of God into a lie. Not only that, but then he says, who... Uh, worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So we reverse, because of our sin, what God do, and we, rather than worship God, we worship what God made, and that's called idolatry, and God always curses idolatry. Uh, we may make our own gods out of stone or wood, or we may worship the animals and things like that. And by the way, that is where our culture is today. In things, like it or not, environmentalism has done exactly that. We're to worship this earth, and they are the boss, not us. They tell us what to do. We don't tell them what to do. And we worship the environment and worship the earth rather than the creator of the earth. The fact is we're supposed to take this earth, dress it, and keep it. Even the global warming stuff, right? Well, we only have 12 years to live, and then we're going to be gone, you know. Change the truth of God into a lie. Uh, the fact is, folks, we don't have time to use up the resources that are in this globe. God's timetable is God's timetable and not ours. Now, we, we couldn't use it up if we wanted to. We don't have enough time to do it. God says, clean the stuff up. Make a path through the wilderness. Use what I've given you uh, to have healthy and good lives. Have dominion, subdue it, and we worship it instead of that. Do you know that the Bible also says that at regeneration, we can undo that reverse. 
and put ourselves back in the right relationship with God. Colossians 3.10 says, and how he has put uh, on the new, or he says to us, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. When we get saved, the image of God is renewed in us and set back in its right perspective so that we can see things in this world the way we need to. And then uh, Hebrews 2.8 says that one day everything will be restored completely. God will come back and he will himself do away with the sin and do away with the sinners and he will make it like it was when he originally created it. Hebrews 2.8 says uh, he's put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we will. We will see everything put under the Lord Jesus Christ and under us as his servants one day when this earth is brought back to where it should be. When we finished chapter 1, we read these words. God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. God made it that way, and he will make it that way again before it's all done. You know whose side you ought to be on? <laughs> you ought to be on his side because he knows what he's doing, and in the end, he will have the final say. All right, stand with me, if you will, and we'll think about these things and, and uh, pray and sing a song. When we come back the next time, we're going to talk about that marriage union and what that means to all of us and to life on this earth. We'll do that uh, in our second message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you made us. Thank you for how you made the world. Thank you for how you created things, the beauty that we see every morning, every evening, uh, every day. Thank you, Father, for being such a loving God and making us in your image that, that you might talk with us and have fellowship with us. And in our sin, you might save us through the incarnation of your Son. So thank you, Father, for blessings. Help us to understand who we are and where we are and when we are, uh, that we might truly do the work still that you've commissioned us to do. So bless as we hear these things again, as we review these great truths that we have known. And I pray, Father, that they would strengthen us in you. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ken's going to come and lead us in this song.